the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. Today we're going to be talking about marketing a training company. So we're marketing quite an intangible product. And my guest is John Wanklin, who is the MD of Achieve. John, welcome to the show. Could you just start with a little bit about what, um, about Achieve and, and what you do? Yeah, hi, Kieran. Um, and sure, Achieve is a learning and development consultancy, but a bit different to any other uh, learning and development agency we're aware of in that we focus exclusively on the complex science of developing human expertise. And what, what I mean by that is, there's a very big difference between knowing something and being able to do it well. So we help close that knowing doing gap by developing skills and expertise, real world skills and expertise to measurable and recognizable levels of mastery. So that's that's what we do. That's what we're obsessed by, to be honest. And the interesting word I think there is um, measuring. So it's not just because so much of training can seem quite fluffy and I speak as somebody who obviously runs a training agency um so it's um unless you have a sort of specific exam to take or, or a certificate it can be seen very fluffy so how are you measuring things yeah good question so depending on obviously the 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 learning objectives of the program the skills that are involved we'll develop behavioral frameworks that describe the extrinsically observable behaviors that you would hear or see somebody say or do um, when executing a particular skill. And we describe those extrinsically observable behaviors at different levels of proficiency. So when we run through the simulation processes, the experiential simulation processes, there's an assessment component to it. And as people conduct more and more learning simulations, all of those assessments combine and we can show the tangible improvement in those extrinsically observable behaviours that, that define skill or, or expertise in any given area. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. So you talked about scenarios. Um, what does that actually mean? So uh, a, lot of our, a lot of our learning design is based on um, Kolb's experiential learning processes. So the first thing is to expose learners to real world tasks or challenges where they can immerse themselves um, and experiment with developing new skills and explore different ways of working. So we'll create scenarios that are specific to that particular skill, the environment and the learning objectives that we're trying to achieve and, and, and get learners to work through those in, in real time. Okay, you, you used a phrase Kolb's experiential learning. So what's that? Uh, okay, so a bit of jargon. So Kolb's experiential learning cycle is actually a very well-established um, mechanism of experiential learning, um, obviously defined by Dr. Kolb. And it, it, in simple terms, it's based on four simple steps. It's, it's about experimentation. So getting learners to experiment um, and experience um, learning in a, in a very direct and tangible way by doing things. Then um, Reflections. So assessment is a key part of that. So by, we use assessment within the learning cycle, not as a standalone process, but as an integral part of, of the learning cycle to really help crystallize um, self-awareness and self-reflection of where that learner is in their process of developing that skill. And then um, feedback and coaching 
um, so that the learner can get really accurate and concise understanding of, of, of where they can adapt, where they could improve, and then that adaption process that they can continue that cycle and, and do it again. So those four stages are kind of how we design our learning processes. So it's quite key that you're learning by doing and then you're learning by reflecting. Yes, absolutely. So just to bring in another kind of component of science to this, we take a lot of inspiration from uh, the latest work in neuroscience and in particular, a gentleman called Anders Ericsson, who wrote the book Peak, The Science of Expertise. And in all of his research um, into what makes people high performers across any environment, he's identified that the people who are at the top of, of, of high performance environments aren't there because they started necessarily with the most innate talent, but they got there because they have the most talent to continuously develop. And that process of continuous development is a function of two core things. The first one is an ability to continuously, honestly, and accurately reflect on your own performance and identify those micro adaptions that you could that you could um, enhance to develop your performance moving forwards and then to deliberately practice them. So the reflection is a massively important part. Self-awareness and reflection is a massively important part of the learning process for us. So you also mentioned coaching because it's you can often reflect on something and go, no, I need to work on that, but actually not know what to do. So is coaching very key? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so within our within our processes, the two components come come together on this. One is good quality coaching and, and someone who can control and coordinate collective feedback. And the other one is collective feedback. And we're massive advocates of peer and social learning. So if you can get groups of learners together going through this process um, in a group and all of everybody evaluates, everyone provides feedback and the coach is there to kind of coordinate and harness that feedback. And the key for us in terms of coaching feedback is avoid directive coaching. So um, we, we, we strongly advocate non-judgmental reflective coaching and really help the learner identify, it all comes back to the self-realization, to self-identify their own um, development uh, opportunities and their own adaption. And for that coaching to resolve all of those opportunities for improvement down to one single adaption point that they can really focus on and develop in the next cycle of learning. So yeah, coaching is a massively important thing for us. Okay, so you said right at the beginning that Achieve does something a bit different. And one of the key difficulties with marketing is actually trying to explain a product that's a bit different. We talk a lot about differentiating our products, but particularly when your product is intangible, it can be quite hard to explain that to people. So when you were setting up Achieve, you clearly saw a gap in the market. So I'm interested in what you saw as the gap and then how you explain that gap to potential customers. Yeah, so actually I, I bought Achieve. It was already an existing company. It had been running for 13 odd years before I acquired it. So one of the challenges I had actually was really understanding what it did. Um, so having bought the company, spent a long time actually trying to understand what our unique value pro proposition was, because we actually have dozens of products and services that we combine to customize solutions for our clients. So you know, it took us an awfully long time to distill down what the essence, the soul, the DNA of the business was, and to be able to articulate that consistently. And it was only two years ago, 
you know, we rebranded re- Achieve with the strap line, the expertise agency. And, and for us, that really does seem to capture kind of the soul of what we do and why. Okay, so how did you go about working out the the DNA of the business? Because we talk about mission and vision, and you know, thinking about the business essence, but it's it's not always easy to do. So, what was your process for that? Um, that's that's a that's an interesting and insightful question. So, probably spent two years spinning our wheels internally, continually relooking at it, um, and and never quite got there. We never felt quite happy that we captured really what our unique value was um, and, and through an association we we worked with um, an external marketing consultant who who just challenged us really rigorously challenged us um, in answering you know continuously answering questions until actually it, it fell out um, it became fairly obvious that what was different and unique about achieve was we solely focused on the, the complex processes of building human expertise hence rebranding the expertise agency and then how do you go about explaining that to potential customers? Um, so we we kind of build, use storytelling. So we've, we've, we've kind of built a story around what we do that combines some of the kind of more complex neuroscience and developmental theory um, that, that kind of underpin our designs with case studies, real world outcomes. As I said, everything we do is measurable. So we've got lots of really powerful outcomes from our learning programs. And, and kind of tell tell what we do through that kind of story so that it's more understandable, relatable and engaging for clients. And the, the key for us is getting into conversations with new clients. That's that's probably our biggest challenge. So what sort of um, marketing and sales channels do you use to try and get those conversations going? Because this is something that we all struggle with is meeting new clients and then getting them to take notice of us. Yeah. So actually, just to answer your second point first, once we have engaged with clients, once we are in a dialogue, we're actually very successful at you know, resolving that to some form of outcome and, and closing business. So once we're in a conversation, we're in our kind of home ground and we're very comfortable. Our challenge is getting into new conversations and, and the kind of mechanisms and channels we're using to drive those new conversations, they're all classic. You know, So we use LinkedIn, um, we obviously we do segmentation. We understand you know, the target audience, the target customers we're shooting for. We use LinkedIn to try and do some market research and and engage them. Um, outbound uh, emails and outbound telesales. So um, fairly standard tools and techniques, I guess. And how have you gone through that segmentation process? Because again, we talk a lot with um, about doing segmentation, but actually how you do the segmentation is very important. Yeah. So the kind of history of Achieve is it, it, it was born from the pharmaceutical sector. So the founders, the original founders 20 years ago um, were learning and development experts from the pharmaceutical sector. And they were frustrated by some of the, the training that was happening. And so came out and set up their own consultancy around experiential learning to develop skills and expertise. So our, our kind of legacy and history and goodwill is all within pharma. So a lot of a lot of the work we do is in um identifying and it's typically big pharma big global pharma brands so we're, we're probably only shooting at a market of 50 odd clients but within those clients they are massive global organizations and you've got hundreds if not thousands of potential touch points so we're constantly reworking um, our understanding of you know who's doing what in those in those small numbers of clients but we're also now 
looking at other markets and, and Kieran, you know this because you're one of our recent <laughs> clients. Um, so we're also looking at expanding out into other markets because what we do as a core process isn't just unique in pharma. I think it's unique and we think it's unique. So our customers tell us in all segments and, and maybe you could, uh, you know, you could comment to that because, you know, you, you're, you've recently been through one of our programs. Absolutely. I mean, you're, the college is working with uh, Achieve at the moment on resilience training, which is something we know is terribly important and also sounds very pink, pink and fluffy, frankly. It's, you know, we need people to be resilient. Well, what does that actually mean? Um, and the reason we're working with you is because when we brought this to you as a problem, instead of turning around and going, don't be silly, you turned around and went, oh, that's an interesting challenge. Um, and we then spent quite a lot of time working about what resilience looks like, um, particularly in the working in the workplace. So I think you're, you're right. Once you've explained the concept, you can then go on from there. But actually finding the segments and particularly um, and we're obviously a very, very different segment to the um, to the multinational farmers that you've been working with. And that's also quite interesting in a marketing term because you've got to pivot the way that you you do the marketing, which actually also brings me on to I know you did a massive pivot when COVID hit because you were all in person training, weren't you, before COVID? Yeah, exactly. When 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 I bought the business, the, the kind of mechanism of delivery was was face to face. It was classroom, conference center type delivery. And we had, blimey, this this is this is you know rehashing painful memories. We had a, a day in March 2020 when literally our whole forward order book was cancelled by clients. So everything that we had planned for clients over the next six, 12 months was cancelled because of COVID. So we suffered instant catastrophic demand shock in the business um so yeah that was that was an interesting day in our history it it was because i mean it's, it's sometimes hard to remember just what it was like then because we didn't know it was coming we had no no expectations of it we were told it would be 12 weeks in this country but actually around the world people were saying it would be much longer and of course they were right so yeah it was catastrophic i can imagine so what did you do I and mean, you you clearly had to do a pivot and you clearly have successfully pivoted so what did you do what was that process well if i go back to that day i remember on the the third telephone call i took that morning with with our, our third large client telling us they were going to have to cancel their programs the whole team was kind of looking at me uh and it was pretty obvious that you know things had changed and changed forever so um I took everyone out to lunch, actually. We all went out to lunch. We had a couple of beers and let everyone decompress because, as you can imagine, you know, everyone was thinking about what that meant to them, the jobs, um, security. So all that kind of stuff flashes through everyone's minds. So we did that um, and everyone went home early. And then the next day, I got everyone back into the office and we focused on what we thought the impact COVID would have on our customers and what services they would now most need from us. And we identified a number of, of, of clear opportunities. I mean, the pharma sector was all about engaging healthcare professionals to explain you know, the value and efficacy and efficiency of new medicines. Um, so it was all about engagement and, and their mechanism of engagement had changed overnight as well. I mean, the pharma industry wasn't allowed access to healthcare professionals. Obviously, it was being protected. So the, you know, the need to engage or for our clients to engage, engage their customers through virtual mechanisms was, suddenly became instantly the most valuable thing to be able to do. 
so we 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 looked at some of our core existing kind of classroom based simulations and looked at how we could we could re-engineer them to be applicable for you know, digital and online training delivery um, and, 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 and basically redesigned our whole offering, but not just to rehash what we were doing face-to-face -face in a virtual setting, but to look at how that change in technology and environment could enhance those services. And we, we significantly changed the dynamics of some of the offerings to make them more valuable through a digital setting. And, and, you know, kind of that was step two. And step three was we then went into a process of just incredibly rapid innovation um, and, and did some incredibly fast prototyping, which we iteratively tested with some of our clients. And three months later, we ran our first commercial program um, on our new digital platform. And, and interestingly, after that initial, and we made mistakes, as you would imagine, because everything was done very quickly, but we polished, we polished out over a period of time. And that year, we ended up running three times more programs than we had in the previous 12 months. Gosh, I mean, again, sometimes we forget now, three years on, but companies were very open to experimentation at the time because we were all stuck. So we were all trying new things. So I can imagine companies were very sympathetic to, oh, we made a mistake, we'll change that. Yeah, we were very fortunate. And, and we work with, with a small number of clients on quite a strategic basis. So we had good relationships with a lot of these clients. We did test those, I have to say, in some instances. We, you know, we, we did have some failures. But I think one of the strengths and core values of Achieve is, you know, we learn from mistakes. You know, we, we have an internal saying every day is a school day. Um, you know, we learn all the time. And, 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 and certainly I've encouraged a culture where people can make mistakes. Let's just learn from them. Let's learn from them, progress and get better. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a very interesting period. And we were, we were very lucky to have clients who tolerated some of our kind of early mistakes but ultimately, the value of what we were doing shone through. And, and as I said, we've, we've been blessed with, you know, significantly increasing what we do in terms of virtual and digital delivery. So to take you through to the day, and I don't want to ask this a journalistic question of how did it feel, but I do want to go through the sort of leadership thought processes. So your your initial leadership instinct was clearly to support the team by taking them out for lunch and having them having some beers, which sounds like great instincts to me. What then, you then got to go, you, you then got to go home and go, what the hell am I going to do tomorrow morning? So what did you do physically and mentally in that period before you went back in the following day and said, right, right, gang, we're going to have to do this now? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I'm, I'm from a technology background myself. So when I bought the business, I'd, I'd already been developing kind of ideas about how we could scale the business better. I mean, classroom delivery is very intimate, but it doesn't scale very well. So I was already looking at how we could use technology to, to better access and scale some of our services. And so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as revolutionary a step as, as it might have sounded that to take the services that we were delivering in classrooms online and to use technology to enhance the, enhance the kind of overall process was already something we were thinking about. The, so the real process wasn't what we were going to do. It was how we were going to do it um, and, and, and which programs we were going to evolve first to meet the greatest need in the market. And that became fairly obvious. And the how then became a fairly mechanical process. You know, we got some very smart, you know, technical and business people in the business. 
and just got them to think through, you know, how we how we evolved the products and technologies and um, how quickly we could get something into the market. And and three months does sound remarkably quick for presumably going from pretty much paper based to an online system. Yeah, I, I you know I, I think COVID did more for um, digital transformation than probably any CEO or CTO has done you know in the previous ten years, um, and we probably innovated five years worth of, uh, of, of of technology development in in a, in a matter of months. You know, it was it, it really was an interesting period. You know, and all of the the normal breaks, checks, sums of software development went out the window, and we were. You know, we, we were really building stuff quickly to get proof of concepts out there, to test them, to see if they worked. And and to be honest, we built up quite a lot of technical debt during that period. So, um, sorry, explain the concept of technical debt. You know, when we went through that that initial period of of rapid innovation, it was all about getting concepts out into the market that we could test with clients and and see what they thought and see what worked and didn't work. So we didn't use the same sort of rigorous software development methodologies that we normally would in terms of, you know, unit testing and making sure it was, you know, you know, developed to the same sort of standards as we would for for normal software development. So basically, after we got those initial programs out into the market, we we, you know, we had a period where we had to go back and kind of re-engineer some of that initial software. To be more, I guess, in simple terms, to be more robust. That was uh, that's kind of what it's all about. Yes, I mean, often robustness has to go when you're doing things at speed, and uh, clearly, speed was of the essence. So, having moved on from that, you said that you were looking for, looking at new markets and and new clients, and we've already talked about the, the fact that the college is one of those. I'm very intrigued to know how you have gone about deciding where those sectors might be. So if your background is, or the company's background was very much pharma, how have you then decided where you want to look for new clients? To, to be honest, we're at the, we're at the beginning of that process. Um, and, and what I'd like to do is kind of democratize our process of developing expertise across multiple markets. But we've got to kind of pick beachheads um, where we can really kind of develop new new propositions into new client segments and grow out from there. So I'll be honest, resilience is something that we're now really interested in. It's something that applies to everybody. You know, everyone I've spoken to since we've got involved in the project with you has an interest in resilience. And obviously school leavers or post-COVID school leavers have had probably the biggest impact and that they haven't gone through the kind of real world experiences through you know early development and school that have, have helped build that natural resilience for them. So when they're coming out into the real world and work environments, you know they're they're really finding it a challenge. But if you talk to other folks, um, either in business or in the NHS, you know they're seeing a lot of patients presenting with increased levels of anxiety, stress, um, absenteeism rates are going up. So you know clearly resilience is a is, is a bigger problem than just school leavers and it's something that with our you know our, our you know, tangible visceral measurable mechanisms of developing these sorts of you know intrinsic expertise components you know i think has massive application to to lots of markets so yeah we're, we're looking at you know where we take that next Yes, I mean, obviously, I have a very personal interest in this, having brought resilience to you as, a, as an issue, because 
in our case, we were concerned about the school leaver end of the marketplace and uh, our apprenticeships. But yes, I can see that resilience is something that you now start hearing. It's a term you hear much more than, than I think I've ever heard prior to COVID. Yeah, and you hear it in all sorts of different contexts. Um, you know, well-being generally is a is a massive topic now. Um, so yeah, it's 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 definitely there's definitely a point of need, and we definitely have a different way. You know, we're not just educating people about resilience; we're developing their resilience, and that's the difference. It goes back to that that knowing and doing um, differential. So, you know, and and. I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk about it here, Kieran, but as you know, you know the initial results we've had through your program have been, um, you know, have been very exciting. And, and again, mm. I'd be interested in your comments on that. Uh, very, very exciting. Um, far more than actually expected when we originally started the project. It was very much an experiment to see what we could do. And uh, two, co two cohorts in and with more to come, it, the results have been very, very interesting and measurable, which is what I really wanted to, to get across because I know that's a very key part of what Achieve does. John Wanklin, thank you so much for talk, for coming and talking about Achieve so, so openly about pivoting a business and finding new segments and um, ex some exciting areas in, in new training. So thank you very much indeed for your time. Thanks, Kieran. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.